The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. S here. Lauren joining me as always. Lauren, how have you been the last couple days? I have been good. Uh, disappointed with how this, and I hate to say it this way, but disappointed with how this this Eastern Conference Finals has gone, which may be an unpopular <laughs> opinion. But we're. I also just noticed that we're matching today. We are. We're wearing black. It's like we're going to theater class. <laughs> Yes, we are. I love that. I love that. That's where your brain went. <laughs> hey, I'm a I'm a theater kid that's at awesome. heart, so you know I gotta. I get, that's the, that's where I. I love I, that. I, I love reserve. that. Um, look, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, you are right. The Eastern Conference Finals has been delaying. It's also been delaying my work. Okay, I had planned to drop a finals preview video and finals preview written work. And I have not been able to do those. The people at SDPN are crawling down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, they, they, they haven't said anything to me at all. But but I imagine, you know, they're probably like, hmm, where is S's weekly video? He usually mm-hmm. drops it by now. And the answer to that question is the finals have not yet been determined. Okay, this is I'm still up in the air on that side of things. So that is where there is no video coming out because of the fact that the Miami Heat cannot close out the Boston Celtics here. They said, don't let them get one, Lauren. They said, don't let them get one. They have now they got two um, back-to-back wins for the Boston Celtics, back-to-back dominant wins for the Boston Celtics, um, blowing out the Miami Heat first in Miami in game four and then following it up in Boston, doing the exact same thing. I thought, I thought the game was over within the first four minutes. Um, mm-hmm. which is crazy to say for a playoff game, but really sometimes when the crowd is into it that much, when they're just hitting shot after shot, and we'll talk about the shooting a little bit later, it just felt like the heat were never really in that contest. Um, just really sloppy play from them. Uncharacteristically sloppy play. The turn- turnovers absolutely killed them. Celtics got out in transition and you know, the rest is history. Now we move on to game six, but I guess the, the overall feel I have is so, are you, as a Miami Heat person, you aren't a Miami Heat person. You are a Dallas Mavericks person. They're very right. different. Mm-hmm. But if you are a Heat fan, how mm-hmm. concerned are you after these two? Um, There's definitely a little bit of concern, especially with the Gabe Vincent injury and just kind of knowing that that's in the back of your head, given how the first two games went and, and his his part in all of that. Um. I would say you have to be concerned. You can never just underestimate your opponent, especially when it's the Boston Celtics, given the the season yeah. that they've had as well, and you know what they can do. Um, but I, oh my God, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> this freaking cat. Oh my God, I'm so sorry for the YouTube people. Oh. He came out of nowhere. Oh anyway. God. Jesus, we've been doing so well. Um, no, I I think if you're if you're Miami, you feel confident because you've gotten this far and you know what you're capable of, whether Gabe Vincent is fully healthy and available or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you have to kind of proceed with caution because this is kind of 
eerily not sim the series aren't similar at all to Philly Boston but you saw what happened when Philly played with their food and Boston made them made the most of it and made them pay so Mm -hmm. if you're Miami you can't be sitting there you know smiling at the camera and and oh we're still comfortable we're we're not worried like Ah, that Jimmy the Jimmy Butler smiles I and I gotta say every time I see him smile I'm like ah Jimmy and like I I love it which is crazy because I know a lot of Mavs people are like oh my god why are why are you rooting for the heat why do you care for the heat whatever but (laughs) I love the story of what Miami has put together this season and I do think Mm -hmm. because of their identity and and how Spo coaches them I think that they still have the confidence to close it out but if they don't do it tonight or I'm sorry the next game whenever you're listening to this I think it's going to be six game six (laughs) that I will be very worried but uh I think that they will do it and and similar kind of going back to a thing that you said with this series, it has it's strange how early in games it has for the most for the majority of games it has felt like you know who's going to win that game because whether the crowd is in it or yeah. one team is carrying all the momentum, um, it just you can feel who's going to win the game. So I'm waiting for one of the games where we don't know who it's going to be, and it's it's you know an elimin- an elimination game, and we're waiting, and it's going down to the wire, and it's close, and it's competitive, and and one team doesn't just have the life sucked out of them while the other has all the momentum. That's what I'm waiting for. And I'm hoping that it's tomorrow and we see Miami get done. So it feels like a completely different series now. Um, And I say that because, yeah, I hear the little tingling. I am so sorry. (laughs) Good Lord. Drew, forgive me. It's all good. Uh, No, I, I, I think it's a completely different series now. And the reason I say that is because after halftime of game four, the Celtics have looked like a completely different team. Boy, would I have loved to be in that locker room at halftime and see what Joe Mazzulla and the rest of the coaching staff and the players were talking about because that was their season on the line. The Heat were were I mean, like the Celtics had played a good game. It was a it was a pretty good contested game through Game Four, but they just came out in that third quarter and they played exactly the way they had to in order to beat this Heat team. They were forcing turnovers. They were getting out in transition. They were knocking down their shots. And I think that's the recipe for the Celtics team is making sure that, actually for both teams really, is that you're trying to make sure your defense turns into offense. That's what was so successful for the Miami Heat through the first three games of the series. They were forcing turnovers from the Celtics. They were getting out and running, and they were finishing. They're one of the best transition teams in all of the playoffs. I think they're the number one transition team Mm -hmm. in all of the playoffs. So the Heat love to do a lot of running, finishing, and scoring there because they struggle in the half court. The Celtics, on the other hand, don't struggle in the half court. They are a great offensive team that can still score on that end, but they were the Heat were taking away their transition game by not turning the ball over a lot. Last night, they they had, I feel like they had, the starters themselves had 12 turnovers um, in that in that first half or at least throughout the game. And then when you look at the, the game four, it was more the same, just tons of turnovers. The Celtics were forcing all of the Heat players into a lot of help. And then things start to get muddy, right? Because when this Heat offense can't get things going, when they can't get downhill, when Jimmy Butler is seeing tons of help, when Bam Adebayo is seeing tons of help and they can't generate things in the half court, it becomes a lot harder for this team to score. And not only that, but once they start playing sloppy, then it's over. So the margin of error to me for this Heat team is very, very thin now. They have to go out and play exactly how they had played through game one, two, one, one and three. Um, and I just, I think that's that's goes without saying. I think... Game six is their game seven. They will lose. I agree. 
they will lose in game seven in Boston if that happens. They need to close this game out um, mm-hmm. right now. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I don't know if I am confident in that. And, and you know, narrative-wise, story-wise, it's funny you mentioned, like, oh, I'm rallying behind the heat and this is a cool story. Equally, a, a team coming down, for, from, coming back from down 3 nothing and winning in the conference finals to yeah. win and go to the NBA finals – would, be, would be an incredible story. I, I'm look on on both sides, narrative it's, wise, story yeah. wise. It would be incredible. The Heat making it as the first eight seed since 1999. That would be incredible. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, the Celtics, who have notoriously been food play food eaters. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who who have been very lackadaisical all playoffs? Mm-hmm. They have a chance to make history, becoming the first yes. team to come back from down three nothing. So I just, I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, it will be insane either way. I do want to say also, because I'm so, you know, that I'm very roster move oriented. That's my, that's what I like. Um, I also think that if Miami pulls this off, Boston will face some significant questions in the off season and much more than Miami will. And so I'm like, evil-mindedly rooting for that because Uh I think that that could be you could see like questions around Jalen Brown you could see questions around Robert Williams who like the rock from a roster movement perspective if Miami can pull this off I think it will get real interesting this offseason especially Mm -hmm. when there are lots of moves that could happen but will they happen I guess we'll see maybe a little teaser for later but yeah um I don't know we'll see what happens uh I'm rooting for Himmy I, you know what? I this is too good of a, a segue because I really did want to bring it up. And man, <laughs> I I, I kind of wanted to talk about the Heat Celtics series for a little bit longer. We'll Let's segue. Do it. We'll, okay, so so the only thing I'll say about this real quick, because obviously, ladies and gentlemen, you're probably listening to this depending on when our producers drop it, either Friday afternoon or Saturday morning. Uh, and and realistically, the game will be only a few hours away. We will see the results of this game, and then we will be able to talk about what happened on Monday whether there is a game seven or whether we have an NBA final set. Um, When it comes to matchups, I would like to see with the Denver Nuggets, how this looks. I think it goes without saying that Boston would have a better chance Mm -hmm. against the Nuggets just because of how good they are offensively. They're obviously the more talented team in the regular season. They have a deeper roster. The question I have with the deeper roster, though, and this goes back to Celtics Heat, Gabe Vincent. Missed game five, and you could see how important Gabe was one in terms of shot making on offense, and two in terms of point of attack defense. They slotted in Kyle Lowry. Kyle, I love Kyle, you know me. He was awful in game five, absolutely awful. He, he was really, really bad turning the ball over, making really uncharacteristic plays. Uh, I would like to scratch that from my memory of Kyle <laughs> Lowry performances. Um, so he really, really struggled in that starting role. I wonder. If they now decide in game six to go to Caleb Martin as their starter mm-hmm. and bring Kyle off the bench again, or maybe even Haywood Highsmith, who played good. He had some interesting minutes as well. And yeah. that way you don't have to ruin the flow of the bench as much. Do you mm-hmm. feel that they will make another lineup change in game six? Um, God, it, it's hard because I, I go back and forth on trying to balance this. How much do you want to continue to shake things up when you're, you know, going game to game and making adjustment from adjustment. Um, But I do think that 
that I would go the, the Caleb Martin route. I would seriously consider that with the way he's been playing this series. And and like you mentioned, missing Gabe Vincent and his point of attack defense. Um, I think that mm-hmm. that that makes more sense to bring Caleb in there and try and switch things up that way. Um, but that does then kind of really present a big question on how does your bench flow then go? Because he's been huge off the bench and he's kind of been like this second wind bounce back for Miami. So then what does that look like? And I think that that could provide or present some some real last night too. Like he, he was yeah. good last night. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I would have questions and concerns about that, but then again, like the, what can you do? You're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. What's the most effective way to try and remedy that? And I do think that maybe a lineup change and introducing Caleb into the, into the starting lineup over Kyle Lowry uh, yeah. could be, could be the way to go. And you might just have to to run your starters and, and give them, you know, even that many more minutes uh, yeah. in game six and, and hopefully not game seven. We'll see. We'll see. Or maybe game <laughs> seven for entertainment purposes, depending who I'm talking for to. For entertainment purposes, it would be incredible. It would be, oh my seven. God. Yes. So the stakes, the but stakes the, would be so high. For the sake of my work at STPN, I would like for this series <laughs> to be over. So I can get started <laughs> on my finals previews. Um, yes, but that, look, I, I, I'm very fascinated to see what happens in game six. It will be a, I feel like it'll be a much closer contest than game four and game five was. Um, I think the heat will be ready. I just think, you know, first and foremost, you look at what happened in game five, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo just have to be better. They really yeah. do. They were, they were both not good in that game. Very bad turnovers, bad shot selection. They weren't hitting their usual patent, like within 10 feet kind of layups and pull-ups and all that stuff. So I didn't necessarily love their games in game five. I thought everybody on the heat sort of had this lack of energy. And Mm -hmm. that is what has defined this team throughout this playoff so far is the fact that they played with more energy than you. The fact that they were out hustling you, the fact that they were going to hound you on defense, force turnovers and also keep their composure. It just didn't feel that way at all um, Mm -hmm. through through the second half of game four and game five. So we'll see. Maybe it's a turning point in this series. Maybe the Celtics have figured them out. I think there's a lot of defensive uh, things that the Celtics have done in terms of helping at the nail, in terms of ball pressure, uh, in terms of forcing the you know heat guards to get into tough, tough looks. I think the Celtics have done a really, really good job defensively. Now it's on Eric Spolstra, who we've said before is the best coach in the NBA, best adjuster in the NBA. Uh, it's on him. It's on the rest of the Heat team to counter. How are you going to counter? They, the Celtics have clearly adjusted to what was working through game one to game three. Now it's about, okay, how were you going to counter whatever the hell it is that makes it make sense? I think the the Heat zone in that second quarter and in the third quarter of game five made it a little bit more difficult on Boston. Maybe mm-hmm. they lean into that more. But it also opens the Celtics up to more open three-point shots. And right. if you do that and if they start hitting, it's it could look bad again. Right. Um, like you said, a lot of interesting decisions for the Heat in the summer as well, I think. Uh, okay. Gabe Vincent is a free agent. Max Struess yep. is Max a free Struce. agent. So there's, there's some money going around. The other side of this is, and I wanted to bring it up because it's somewhat related. So the Washington Wizards have hired their new – general manager their their president of basketball operations we don't even know what the job is but he's he's been hired on to be the next guy in washington mm-hmm. to to take helm of this franchise from a basketball operations standpoint this is michael winger he is uh he was an executive for the clippers he's done work with the thunder and cavaliers as well but the most interesting part lauren and this is what i wanted to bring up to you 
is this paragraph right here from David Aldridge, David Aldridge of The Athletic, okay? If Winger doesn't formally replace Tommy Shepard in job title, he will at least have the green light to do whatever's necessary, including, be still my beating heart, a total rebuild meaning through the draft, meaning meaningful building through the draft and not through incremental piecemeal trades. Don't say tank around Leonsis, which is the Wizards owner. It makes him break into hives. But if rebuild is more palatable in the world of genteel universe mastering, so be it. Winger can do whatever he wants with the existing roster and no executive can change that. So that means that the Washington rebuild might be on its way. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I don't think there has been a better time for Wizards fans than to hear those words right there. Mm -hmm. um, I have harped on this a lot. It is very hard to build from the middle of the lottery. It is very, very hard. You look at the Detroit Pistons from, I would say, like 2012 to like 2018, 2017, but essentially before they hired Troy Weaver. Mm -hmm. Um the the Pistons were constantly in the middle of that lottery, always getting the seventh pick, the sixth pick, the, the fifth pick, the eighth pick, the ninth pick. And in that time, you were not able to build anything of worth. They were a middling team. They were a bad team in a lot of years. Now with the Washington Wizards, they're in the same boat. The roster is more talented than those Pistons teams. They have Kyle Kuzma, Kristaps Porzingis. Those guys are free agents. They obviously have Bradley Beal, who's been signed to a Supermax. Some other interesting players, including, you know, Jordan Goodwin, Monte Morris. They had Denny Abdia, if you will. They have some interesting pieces around that Wizards team. But it is time to hit reset. I think it is time to do a clean sweep. They can probably move on and and maybe re-sign a Kuzma, re-sign a Porzingis. You know, those guys can be kind of like, stop gaps for for what the next generation of Wizards basketball is but I think the goal should be to be bad next season which brings in a potential Bradley Beal trade and I bring up mm -hmm. the Miami Heat because I think that's a very interesting destination that has been rumored before and yeah. I think it could get done because there are some ways that they can work around it mm -hmm. you know Tyler Hero has not been there throughout these playoffs and mm -hmm. the Heat have looked better if not sometimes the same you know since Hero has been out of these playoffs. They've looked much more succinct defensively, I would say. And I wonder if something along the lines of, you know, Hero plus whatever picks the Heat have in their arsenal plus something else, you know, can get it done for Beal. Now, mm -hmm. I will say there will probably be other teams that are interested in Beal. The other thing is Bradley Beal is a supermax player, so getting to that contract level um, in terms of matching salary is going to be hard. It's going to yeah. be really, really hard to find out how you can send that type of money out. Uh, they obviously have Duncan Robinson salary. They can do Robinson hero plus a couple of their picks, although they don't have tons of pick flexibility. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see if that's something that goes down. Maybe not the heat side of things, but I do wonder from the wizard side of things, if they now start to entertain trading Bradley Beal, restarting, and just and bottoming out truly and you know unremorsefully unshamefully bottoming out mm -hmm. how do you feel about that situation <sighs> i the one thing the absolute worst thing that you can do in the nba is this perpetual state of mediocrity and you mentioned mm -hmm. it when you get stuck in the middle of the lottery when you're not really good enough to be competitive in the playoffs to try and build something and take these steps forward to eventually get to where you want to be 
if you're not even if you're struggling to make the playoffs every year and you're not getting a high pick and you're just hoping for lottery like that is the worst place you can be in the NBA and so the best way to get out of that is to fully reset and so I think the fact that that article came out and the fact that it got worded that way because a lot of times, and I don't know that this is the case in every single article, but through some of the conversations that I have had with media people along the way, I have heard that a lot of times before a major article covering a major topic with a team, before it comes out, it does kind of get run by the team or a representative from the, or maybe not necessarily a representative, but somebody that it's being talked about to say, Hey, this is coming out you know, just wanted to give you a heads up, good or bad. And so to have such, um, I don't want to say aggressive language, but that's like, that's making a statement. You don't have to say that. It can just be an introductory article. So to say that you have to have something to base it off of. So I am curious as to how much the Wizards would entertain a full rebuild, um, especially considering someone that came from the Clippers and seeing the the types of aggressive moves that they have made in the past. Absolutely. So I don't want to roll out a full rebuild, but similar to the Blazers in history, in recent history, we have seen this extreme kind of hesitance to moving off of the kind of franchise cornerstone that has been proud to be there for all of these years. So it's kind of a a wait and see if we get more signs towards that direction, kind of looking back to what we saw with Utah, completely different situations. But we started to see like the Royce O'Neal trade, the the uh, the dismissing of of guys that were connected to to Donovan Mitchell, maybe not dismiss, but yeah. they were letting people go and, and they were leaving. And, and, and so you have all these signs. And right now, I think this is the first domino. I'm waiting to see if there are more because right now, all we've heard is Kuzma, Porzingis, they're going to come back. They're going to run it forward with this core. They have moves to make with a somewhat high pick in this draft, um, in a loaded draft. So I think that there are paths if they want to go that way. But I do think the best decision for them is to do a full rebuild. I just don't know if they're quite there yet. Yeah, I, I agree. And look, a lot of people have mentioned that the 2024 draft is a bit of a dud. There's not tons of talent out there in that draft. It's maybe one of those right. drafts where you don't need to tank as much. And I think um, I think implications-wise, it'll be interesting to see how far teams will go to not tank next year, especially given the fact that, like, yes, those lottery odds can be damning for you. Look at what happened to the Houston Rockets and, and Detroit Pistons, who were supposed to get top three picks this year, but ended up with four and five instead. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I just think that'll be interesting, uh, just to bring it up, Bradley Beal, he is owed, he's five years, uh, $250 million contract is what he inked. He already did one year of that in the 2022, 2023 season of $43 million. But just to kind of give you a, a look at what the salary would look like if a team wants to take him on $46 million next season, $50 million the season after that, $53 million the year after that. And then in 2026, 2027, when he's 33 years old, he has a $57 million player option. Uh, he obviously has a no trade clause that I believe, yeah, he has a no trade clause that I believe he has to, you know, kind of accept. So that's also the hurdle in all of this Bradley Beal stuff is the fact that they would have to send him somewhere that he agrees to, that he would want to go to. Um, and I think that's why I keep going back to Miami. There's obviously been been links there. If the Heat end up getting to the NBA Finals but not winning, I could see them making one last you know push and acquiring the talent of Bradley Beal. Now you have Beal, Butler, Bam. You obviously can maybe get there with Kyle, etc. 
I think that's an interesting way to look at things. I'm not sure where else would be interested in Bradley mm-hmm. Beal. That's the other question here is like how interested would Toronto be in Bradley Beal? Mm-hmm. I don't think they would be. I, I, I don't think that's their MO to go ahead and acquire a guy of that level. The other thing is like Beal is making a lot of money. And I think he's a good player, but he's not what the money is. Um, okay. And I think that makes it tough built team building wise, because I think he's more of a second or a third option on a championship team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it's tough to consider your second or third option on a championship team making almost $60 million a year. Um, the other side of this is, Hey, maybe the Philadelphia 76ers go ahead and look at the Bradley Beal situation. Obviously that's something that was rumored. Uh, I remember when Ben Simmons was initially traded, there was some kind of movement on the fact that Bradley Beal might be on his way to Philadelphia. Um, So I'm interested to see if that's something that materializes as well, especially considering the James Harden news. If Harden walks, if Harden goes to Houston, now you need a replacement second star to be pairing alongside him. And look, maybe I'm thinking too offseason right now. Maybe this is too offseason brained of me to even suggest these type of trades. Mm -hmm. But when you hear that a new general manager has been given the leeway to go whichever direction he chooses to build mm-hmm. this team into something, I think I think the suggestion there is that they're going to hit the rebuild button. They're going to hit the reset. And with that being said, I, I imagine, yeah, like what can you get for a Bradley Beal? What are we going to do with Kyle Kuzma or Kristaps Porzingis? What can we get for a Daniel Gafford or a Denny Abdi on the market? These are the types of random NBA things that my brain goes through when I hear a team is about to rebuild. Um, Absolutely. And, I, and I'm, I'm just, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see how the, the Wizards. Yeah. I think, know, kinda... I, I do Go think ahead. that, I, sorry to interrupt you. I, I do think that the biggest thing here is the, the trade clause because there are several teams out there that could really put together an intriguing package. One that I think teams that would consider going the full rebuild will go towards um, whether it be the slew of picks, the young star, a mixture of both, uh, whatever that looks like. But I think that Bradley Beal having a lot of um, control in that situa- situ- situation, I think that that will be something that really kind of determines and dictates how this goes. Because on top of the teams that have packages to offer, you also have to look at the current landscape of the league because there are times where it's like, okay, now this team is an intriguing situation to go to and then a season later or half a season later you're like oh I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole and so there there's got to be the kind of perfect situation that lines up for Brad or if the GM comes in and he's like you know what no we're we're going rebuild this is the draft we don't want the 2024 draft we want this draft there's a guy we like we're moving forward with this so pick your team and we're going to go that way so I think things could get really interesting but I also, at the same time, think that because they have the eighth pick in this draft, that they could look and say, "Hey, well, this is on the same on the flip side, a big this is a big draft. Let's go get something and let's move forward before we hit full reset because we can then do it later because we still have Bradley Beal." So right. I kind of go back and forth, and I think that there's a lot of ways that this offseason could shake out, especially if you have a team like the Rockets going from rebuild to. James Harden re-enters the picture and now we have all these picks and all these young guys. Where does that leave them? So I think a lot of things could could change with the current landscape of the NBA this offseason. 
yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, again, like like you mentioned, and you know we've mentioned in the podcast before. I think the new CBA will be a very very interesting wrinkle in all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Hollinger had a report on the Athletic saying that teams probably won't be willing to include a bunch of draft picks now in the superstar trades. Um, nice. And the reason behind that is because hey, if you start maxing out your team, if you end up getting to that second luxury tax apron, you will not be able to trade picks five six seven years out and it makes it a lot harder cap flexibility wise draft pick flexibility wise to be able to maneuver around a really expensive team so if your team gets expensive might be very very hard to to figure things out i think that will usher in an era of even more parity that more teams will be at similar levels like we've seen over the last couple of Mm -hmm. seasons more teams will be competitive more teams will try to go for it um And you're seeing now, I mean, I I don't necessarily agree with this, but I can see how some teams will convince themselves that, hey, the Lakers, a seven seed, just made it to the Western Conference Finals. Hey, the Heat, an eight seed, just made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. One went away from the the NBA Finals. Maybe if we're, and I, I don't agree with this. I really, really don't agree with this perspective because that's taking away tons of context from what the Heat were, what the Lakers are as a team, the trades that they made, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're like the Chicago Bulls and you are, you're like, oh, we have to compete with Levine. You're telling yourself, mm-hmm. man, we we were a quarter away from eliminating the Miami Heat in there in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, you're looking at the Toronto Raptors probably in there saying, hey, we were pretty close with the Chicago Bulls who almost beat the Miami Heat. Maybe we can get, <laughs> you know, and I don't necessarily agree with that approach, but I do think that given the new CBA, given the fact that it'll be a much harder It'll be much harder to team build. It'll also be much harder to star build. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it will usher in an era of parity. I don't think this era from now until the next uh, CBA, which I think is 2027, they have a a period. I have to double check that. But um, throughout this next period, I would imagine that we don't have another super team. There won't be another Golden State. There won't be another Miami Heat. We haven't seen one in a couple of years as well, Mm -hmm. but I really, really would doubt we see a super team kind of team up, if you will, because of these new CBA implications. And that makes it harder for a Bradley Beal trade or whatever trade, right? Yeah. And I do, I do before, I just want to add real quick. I do think that that is the right way to go because I think it in- increases and improves the overall quality of the NBA. And like you said, maybe we'll see a more, um, maybe we'll see more duos. Maybe there will be just more talent spread out to these middle market and even smaller market teams. And I think that that's better for the overall, for the NBA. I also think it will improve and, and make the NBA life cycle more organic you'll see you won't see these teams that have kind of lucked into these first round picks and then all of a sudden they swap them and all of a sudden they've got a loaded up trio you'll see okay we got to build through the draft we've got to get a young guy and now well we we have someone like Jason Tatum or Luka Doncic so we have to go find ways to to get a star on that same timeline and I think making it more difficult to team build is something that is going to in the long run improve the overall quality and product of the NBA. And I think that that a lot of people are going to enjoy that because you're going to see more matchups and more, more finals matchups that end up not being as predictable. Um, And so I, I individually am am greatly looking forward to that. Yep. The transaction cycle is where Lauren Gunn gets her bread. She gets, (laughs) that's right. That's right. I don't even know if that's the expression, but I just wanted to say that. I I (laughs) I liked it. 
Um, all right, look, so so we've talked about the Wizards. Wizards content in the middle of the Eastern Conference Finals, ladies and gentlemen. You know on the Objective Basketball Podcast we're doing it right. Um, when it comes to the NBA finalists, the only NBA finalists right now in the Denver Nuggets, there's been some speculation, some talk, some discussion about the compelling components of the Denver Nuggets, okay? Uh, Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated, uh, a clip went uh, viral, if you will, in not a great way, uh, saying that he doesn't see anything compelling about the Denver Nuggets. Not a lot of people in the media consider anything about the Denver Nuggets compelling. They don't seem interesting. One, I think that's ridiculous for a number of reasons because if you look at the Denver Nuggets roster, there's a million and one things that are impressive and compelling about this team. Even if you don't look at the basketball side of things, even if you're like completely ignoring the fact that this team plays a beautiful brand of basketball, they're explosive offensively, they have one of the best passing big men, and they have one of the best duos in Jokic and Murray in terms of watchability uh, in the NBA, even if you don't include any of that stuff. Nikola Jokic is a second-round pick from Europe who was drafted during a Taco Bell commercial, who is now a two-time MVP and rides horses in the offseason on a chariot. Michael Malone is the son of Brendan Malone, who used to be the Toronto Raptors head coach, by the way. Former NBA coach, has been an assistant coach a very, very long time. He's never made it to the NBA Finals, I believe, until the Cavaliers, I think he made it to the NBA Finals, um, and maybe even won a chip there, although I can't remember if he was there when they won in 2016. Either way, he has a long, long career. Jamal Murray has missed two straight postseasons because of an ACL tear. Canadian guard who's fought back. They, they did a really, really cool documentary on NBA, the YouTube channel. NBA, you guys should go check it out. Jamal Murray, The Return. Really, really great stuff. There are so many stories, and that's just scratching the surface. Bruce Brown is like this cowboy, do-it-all type guy, apparently, in Denver, and everybody loves him. Michael <laughs> Porter Jr., a guy who went through consistent back injuries fell in the NBA draft. The Nuggets took a swing at him, and now he's like one of the best sharpshooters in the NBA. In terms of compelling, Mr. Mannix, you are completely incorrect in the fact that this team isn't compelling because there's a million and one different things that come with this team. And also, even if it wasn't the Nuggets, even if we were talking about the Washington Wizards like we were just five minutes ago, there are still compelling things about that team. You, as a media person, as a media response, as, as a media member, as a person who's supposed to be covering the game of basketball, it is your job to find those compelling stories, to find what's interesting, to pull and tug at threads in order to find those interesting subjects that people would like to see. That's our job. If you don't do that, you don't love basketball. You don't love these things. You don't enjoy covering this. At some point, it just becomes a job. Um, and I think that's something that happens to a lot of media people. That's why you see as media personalities sort of age out that their content sort of starts to get a little bit stale because they start treating it as a job. The passion, the love for basketball is not there anymore. Um, and it just becomes something routine to them. And mm -hmm. I just, that's my spiel on the nuggets. That's all I have. But what, what do you have anything to say on the compelling front on the skepticism? <laughs> it just feels yeah. like everybody's worried about TV ratings and Nielsen. Ratings yeah. It's a hundred percent. And people, I just, I'm sorry. It, I'm it's, just, crazy. it's crazy. It is crazy. I agree with you. I think you hit it. I think you hit the nail on the head saying the biggest thing is 
it is your job as a media person to to find the interesting stories to put them out because they're there with every single team with every single team there's always something to talk about and and i think a lot of media people especially at the national level and um i'm not naming anyone specifically but i do think that a lot oftentimes you get used to talking about the same teams you get used to talking about the same names and you're kind of always gearing your 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 audience your tone whatever flashing the attention on the flashy people and the people that whether it's from a basketball perspective the explosive athletes or or the big personalities and so i think when they look at a middle market team that also has to ha- happens to have their frontman who's incredible on so many levels be this non-flashy kind of tim not even timid but just like completely unfazed by all of the superficial stuff that comes with being a superstar and being the face of a franchise. He's not interested in any of that. And so I think from a media perspective, they're like, there's not a whole lot we can tug from that. And then after a while, when you have these big name media people who have been in the business for a long time, they're not seeing the typical, oh, well, I've struck out or, or from from the Nuggets perspective, you've got Nikola Jokic. Okay, after a couple of, of seasons of striking out, I haven't requested a trade. I like right. it here. I'm happy here. I like the coach. I like my teammates. We can do this. That's not interesting from a media perspective, but they don't they don't try to to navigate or or think about why that that's impressive and why that that's valuable, especially in today's NBA. They just move on to okay, who's fighting? Who's in the locker room? You know what I you know what I mean? They they're looking at maybe the more problematic, not problematic storylines, but the, the conflict storylines as opposed to finding interest in good basketball and finding interest in the Bruce Brown story, the Michael Porter Jr. story, which is incredible. Um, and so I, I think that that a lot, a lot of times, oftentimes you have people that maybe are not interested in the life cycle of basketball, kind of going back to what you said about you just view it as a job and you're not really that interested in basketball. And and I'm not saying that that's the case for many people or, or a lot of people or whatever, but there yeah. are, there are so, so, so many interesting things that happen throughout the NBA year round. We talk about it being a 365 day a league just year round. And so there's always something to talk about. And if you ever feel like there's something not compelling or not interesting about an NBA team, then you're just not looking that hard. Yeah, I agree with you. I and and just real quick before we before we kind of continue this conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, it's playoffs. Get in the game. Make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Bet before the game or live in play on all your favorite teams matchups. Head to sportsinteraction.com/sdpn or download the app to get started. That's right. I said head to sportsinteraction.com/sdpn and download the app to get started. 19 plus Please play responsibly. Okay. And I I completely agree. You you hit the nail on the head when it came to a topic. Um, on the idea of some people are very, very much so obsessed with the transaction cycle of the NBA. Me and you, we love it as well. It's, it's yeah. part of it. It's entertaining, like, yeah. It is entertaining. And yes, I understand that. I think from a from a selling the NBA, from a marketing the NBA perspective – the transaction cycle, the hype around who goes where, who gets traded, who's going to sign what, that has created a consistent, it's like reality TV, you know, it's created this consistent news cycle for the NBA, and it has helped them money-wise, revenue-wise, because now, instead of just the, instead of just the games, people are tapping in to trade deadline shows, because they want to hear Woj and Shams talk, they're tapping into Twitter, 
from uh, the start of trade deadline to the end of trade deadline. I'm on there scrolling like crazy because I want to know what trades happen. That is why the NBA is so good at marketing itself. The transaction side of things is incredible. One for the casual fan, but also for the diehard fan. People are invested in who goes where, what it works, how it works basketball-wise, and how it works narrative and story-wise. That's an important aspect. No one is taking that away from them. But also, from the aspect of basketball and looking at it from a storytelling perspective, from a journalistic perspective, from a reporting perspective, it is quite literally the media's job to find these types of compelling stories, to find things that are interesting in what we cover. Um, and I think when it comes to basketball, there's just so many. It's littered with it. You you talked about it, but like even if you don't look at the the Denver Nuggets as the story, the fact that the Nuggets are in their first ever NBA Finals is a story in itself. Going back to that team in 1976, the first team that they ever had, and maybe talking to them, interviewing them. I'm sure there's still some people around who you could talk to about that 1976 Nuggets team that started it all. There's just, there's so many angles that you can approach with this. And to me, it's like, there's, it's just, it's laziness uh, to, to deem it as boring. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but like the big market, small market stuff. If Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray were on the Los Angeles Lakers, would this be a discussion? If they were playing, if they were playing on the if they were playing on the Boston Celtics, would this be a discussion? If they were playing on the you know New York Knicks or Chicago Bulls or Golden State Warriors, would any of this be a discussion? It absolutely mm -hmm. would not. And I hate to get into the big market, small market thing because I think sometimes that can get dragged out. You know, uh, a lot of people were saying, oh, my God, the free throw discrepancy with the Lakers this season. It's clearly because it's big market. OK, no, that that's that's not what that is. They were a good free throw team pretty much all season. They were good at doing that. But these type of things, the bias the media has towards certain markets versus the other absolutely exists. And mm -hmm. we're seeing that right here with this example, because if you throw Jokic on a big market team. They would praise him as if he's, you know, the next coming of whatever Larry Bird, if you will. I don't know. Right. But I just think it's so clear as days that like there is not an interest level in covering these small teams. And it's interesting to me because last year, 2022, we got Celtics Warriors, right? Great. Big markets. Everybody loves it. 2021, we got the Suns versus the Bucks. Suns are a big market team, but the Bucks. Were the, were the team that won the NBA championship and had Giannis. Mm -hmm. Nobody talked about the fact that there's issues with TV ratings because of the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm -hmm. Nobody said that, oh my God, how are we going to pitch Giannis Antetokounmpo as, <laughs> as the next megastar? Ain't nobody have that conversation around Giannis. But for some reason, when it comes to Jokic, when it comes to the Nuggets, because of the fact that he doesn't do these interviews, he doesn't do these commercials, et cetera, et cetera, we're here at this point. Mm -hmm. Reminds me a lot of Tim Duncan, and I'm sorry, I'm going on a little rant here. No, I think it's it's important. It's an important it, discussion. Proceed. It <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, it reminds me of Tim Duncan uh, because Tim, yes, like he did the the smaller ads in San Antonio. He was obviously a star in San Antonio, but to the bigger NBA market world, never really got that much love. Right? Never really got the praise that he wanted to. Even in discussions nowadays, people will say. Oh, Kobe was clearly the the best guy in that in that era. 
without bringing up a, a Tim Duncan because Tim Duncan is oft forgot about. And I think that that is part of being in a small market for your entire career. That's part of being a guy who won five championships, two-time MVP, uh, all-time defensive player, you know, ever. And yet still he doesn't get that type of love because he played for the San Antonio Spurs and they still won five NBA championships and they did it through, 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 through the course of 20 years. So I just, I think it's interesting to contextualize like the person himself in Nikola Jokic, who kind of reminds me in a lot of ways of Tim Duncan and not wanting to do the things that, you know, a, a prototypical NBA star would mm-hmm. and the smaller market. The fact that yeah. the, the Denver Nuggets and, and you know, the, the San Antonio Spurs aren't the most glamorous of things. It plays a factor in the way the media approaches things. And it's unfortunate because there are stories there. There are clearly stories there. So that's all I have to say. Lauren, anything on that front before we get into our, our no, final topic? I think, it, I think it was great. I think it was okay. great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so we wanted to do this because... The NBA draft is uh, about a month away, less than a month away. Uh, There's been a lot of discussion. There's been some rumors flying around about what kind of draft night trades could happen. Apparently, there's a lot of movement that could potentially happen. The Charlotte Hornets are looking to make a trade. The Portland Trailblazers, Houston Rockets, Detroit Pistons, maybe the Toronto Raptors, Oklahoma City Thunder, Indiana Pacers, Dallas Mavericks. Like I just listed pretty much every team in the lottery. Uh, which means that there there might be a lot of movement, which or or it means that there won't be any movement. Um, it could mean that as well. Mm-hmm. But since we're here, since we're talking about it, I asked Lauren to bring two draft night trades that we could talk about, and I've got two as well. Lauren, I will let you go first. What is your first draft night trade that you would like to see happen? Must see happen, if will. Oof. Oh God, must see happen. I would be very unhappy if this happened, but I think that it's, I, here's what I want to say about the draft night trades is that a lot of times I feel like when there's potential for a lot of movement, there are so many conversations happening and teams are waiting to leverage offers, waiting to leverage offers. And then the time runs out and then they just end up making a selection. So I'm praying that that's not the case this year, but the first one that I have that I, I think addresses both teams needs is between the golden state warriors and the Indiana Pacers. Ooh, uh, okay. I've got Miles Turner, Buddy Heald, and Boston's pick, which is the 29th pick or the 28th pick in the draft. Sorry, okay. 29th pick in the draft. Okay. Going to the Warriors for Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, and Patrick Baldwin Jr. Mm, interesting. I like it. I kind of like it. I wonder if the Pacers would be interested in pool because they have so much guard, so many guards, they have, you know, mm-hmm. Halliburton, Matherin, Nembard, you know, throwing pool into that mix might make it a little bit difficult, but I love the Kaminga pick. I think that is uh, a big swing for them. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, who that is, that is interesting. I, I'm curious to see if there might be more out. I mean, not more out there. I think that's a pretty good return for, for Turner healed. And the 19th, uh, what was it? The 28th? 29th. 29th pick. Um, I think I like that as a deal. Although I, I wonder I wonder if the Pacers say no, as crazy yeah, as that they might, might say. I, I wonder if the Pacers say, you know, we have too many guards here. We don't need Jordan Poole. We're not in love with Jordan Poole. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we kind of move off of that scenario. I yeah. I could see it. I have a Poole trade in here as well. So <laughs> I like I'm, it. Let's hear it. 
Okay, I'm not gonna bring up the pool trade first. I'm gonna bring up something else. Something okay. else. Okay. Let's do it. Um this is the trade that everybody on Raptors and Blazers <laughs> Twitter has been talking about. Okay. And I think it's a trade that should should happen. Um only, only if Scoot Henderson is available at three. That is the only way that I think it should happen. I do not think the the Raptors should be making this move if it's Brandon Miller that's available. Or if it's MN Thompson that's available, I think it would only be if Scoot Henderson is available, then you make this trade and you don't look back. And the trade I would have is Pascal Siakam straight up for Anthony Simons and the third pick. That's it. Nothing else included. Nothing else attached. That is all that I'm asking for. I, Yeah, that's it. I'm not even giving the 13th pick back because I don't think that makes sense for the Portland Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. Just Simons, third pick, Siakam the other way. That's the deal. Everybody has tried to add different things to it. Raptors fans have tried to add future picks, right? Uh, Blazers fans have tried to add mm-hmm. a Precious or, you know, something else. I could see maybe Chris Boucher being involved in that deal. You know, you, you get Pascal Boucher, and then maybe on the other side, you get like Simons, Little, and the third pick. And now yeah. it's like, okay, it could work. But that's 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 all I have. That is the pick. And the reason I say that, reason I have that as as a thing is because if the Raptors do want to pivot, the Raptors want to move into building around Scotty Barnes, there's not really a better player than a guy like Scoot Henderson, who Mm -hmm. is an explosive guard, who can score, create, get his own looks. Uh, I mean, in a lot of other NBA drafts, this guy goes number one overall. And I feel like you can't miss out on this opportunity uh, if it presents itself. If it doesn't present itself, all right, cool, keep building. I mentioned it earlier at the pod in the podcast that like I could see the Raptors selling themselves on the fact that this is a good team, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, d- d- you know, I don't think that's a crazy idea saying that. Oh, we have Yakupertal, we have all these guys, let's just run it back. Wouldn't be surprised if they do that. But if they decide to pivot, I think this is the way to pivot if they want to. Yeah. What do you What do you think? I do. I completely agree that this is the way for them to pivot, and I think that the most likely trade partner for that number three pick is the Toronto Raptors. Um, I, in the back of my mind, the only true contender that I have that I think would stop this trade, because if you're Portland, this is the time, this is the time to make the trade, to make the move, to go out and get your number two. This is it. If it's not now, it's never, which is why you have to look at the Toronto Raptors. And I think Pascal makes the most sense, especially with Jeremy Grant being a free agent. Um, I think the only thing that could get in the way of this is the Minnesota Timberwolves if they decide to move on from Carl Anthony Towns. And that to me is the, if I'm Portland, I want that over Pascal, which may sound crazy to Toronto fans, but I think that that is the only thing that could get in the way of this deal. If not, I think there is going to be some form of, I I don't, I truly, even the Bradley Beal situation that we just got done talking about, if I'm Portland, do I really feel that that's the answer? I don't know that I do, but I think Toronto there's more conversations to be had where whether you do decide to expand it or not. I think you can really take steps forward if you're Portland by having a deal with Toronto. And I think the core of that deal is going to be the third pick and Pascal Siakam. So I'm yeah. with you. I, I will we'll see what happens because we'll this is we'll obviously see. this is like a fan favorite trade. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, very maybe popular nothing. Trade. Yeah. Maybe nothing comes of it. Like there is a chance the Blazers just keep the pick. They say we like Scoot Anderson or we like Brandon Miller. And we're going to keep rolling with the pick. We're fine with it. We're going to keep Simons. We're just going to build this way and maybe do some trades in the offseason. 
Uh, I would I would disagree with that. I think Damian I would Lillard disagree with that too. As well. <laughs> but uh, I think see. Dame would disagree too, right? Like Dame would would mm-hmm. not be happy if that's the situation. I also wonder if there's an OG and an OB trade in this situation. Maybe yeah, it's something different. So that's we'll where I wonder if it could get expanded. If if Portland's like, we'll do this deal, but it has to get expanded, and we have to get both. Which at that point it would then become like this massive deal, and I don't know if either team ultimately says, "Oh, yeah, that's, that's enough." Where I think it falls away. Yeah, I think that's- so. That's where I think that's exactly the type of scenario where I'm like, "Okay, there's so much negotiating going into draft night, and then you can't get on the same page, so we just make a selection, yeah. and then nobody's happy in the long run." So I I worry that that's that's what lies ahead. But if I'm Portland, this is it. What's your and also. I, I'll, before we go to the second one, I also want to say that Mike Schmitz is semi-new in Portland. He's semi-new, yeah. and so this is his opportunity. This is his opportunity to really get something going, you know what I mean, yeah. before yeah. just having to move on from Damian Lillard. So I would I would urge Raptors fans to to maybe stay optimistic because of that <laughs> fact. Um, I'll, I'll, let's... Say this, I'll say this also, like, from a Blazers <laughs> perspective, there's been – uh, you know, it's it's weird. Anytime there's some kind of trade that includes is is involved like this that fans are talking about, both sides will try to downplay the other side. They'll be like, "Oh, come on, yeah. Raptors fans! Raptors fans are saying, oh, Simons isn't that man. Simons doesn't do this. Like, he's not a great scorer. He's not a great playmaker. He's a horrible defender. They just try to downplay him and lower his stock. And then they're like, oh, the third pick, it's not going to be Scoot Henderson. It could be Brandon Miller. It could be a Men Thompson. We don't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. And then on the other side, you know, Blazers fans are saying, oh, well, Siakam is not the guy who can take us over the top. He's not yep. the guy who can do this. And I mean, like, I can understand why from a Blazers perspective, you're saying that Siakam by himself isn't enough to make you contenders because mm-hmm. that team needs a lot more help than that. just that. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to address the Nurkic situation and Jeremy Grant situation. And how does that work with Siakam? I think there's there are genuine questions about how it would fit and how it would look. But in terms of overall talent, in terms of getting a second guy next to Damian Lillard, Pascal is a great, great fit. Um, mm-hmm. And he is he is a guy who can be your number two on a championship team. He's proven that already. Yep. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think I like it from both sides. It's just that I don't think it will happen because <laughs> both sides, like their fans, will probably be stubborn in their ways. And, uh, yeah. um, and we'll see. We'll see what yeah. happens. What's your, what's your second deal? Okay, my second one, bear with me. Okay. Bear with All me right. on this. Okay. This is if the Wizards decide to not move on from Bradley Beal, but instead double down, triple down, however many times it's been. <laughs> okay. So it's a three-teamer. Okay. Oh, it's wow. a three-teamer. Right. Okay. Bulls, Wizards, Hawks. And maybe mm-hmm. we can get our, our, our SDPN friends to, to flash up a graphic of this because it's there's a lot there's a lot of money moving around here <laughs> a lot of moving parts okay <laughs> okay chicago they full full reset this is chicago's full reset wow okay All right. chicago gets john collins denny avia daniel gafford delon wright garrison matthews and other kind of money fillers wow and then they get a lot of players okay in the draft they get the wizards pick and they get the Hawks pick. So they get eight and 15 okay. plus right. those guys. Okay. The, the Wizards get Zach Levine, Alex Caruso, and Bruno Fernando from the Hawks. Okay. The Hawks get DeMar DeRozan, Monte Morris, and Johnny Davis from the Wizards. 
That is it. Trade. Oh, whoa. I try. If I'm going to talk trades, I want to try and do ones that are not (laughs) talked about every day, all day. I love that. That is. It's crazy. It's crazy. But I don't think that the or that the Bulls have these premier stars that are going to get a package that Bradley Beal or Pascal Siakam is going to get. That's fair. So I don't think you're looking at like the young, like a Tyler Hero. A Ty- Tyrese Maxey's not out there, but like I think you're looking at more of the John Collins, Denny Avdia, and not the super, not the number three pick, but maybe a little mm-hmm. bit lower. Uh, and I think this is a good path forward for the Bulls to reset. That's funny. I actually have a, a Bulls trade too, but it's a little bit different than that. Uh, so okay, I like it. First of all, to talk about your trade, um, I really like it from the Hawks' perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I think they don't give up much. They get Demar. Um, and they've been wanting to get off of Collins for a very long time, getting DeMar there, getting a secondary ball handler next to DeJounte, next to Trey, maybe a guy who can be a veteran help to them. I think I really like that from a, the, the Hawks perspective. I don't hate it at all. Defensively, I see some issues, but I, I don't, I don't hate it in terms of like just value for the guys that they're getting back. Um, from the wizard side of things, God, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> I, I hate it. I, you know, just, just because of what we talked about earlier. It's I like, agree. I, I need that team to hit you the need detonate the reset. button. Use mm-hmm. TNT and blow up DC's entire roster. No, yep. thank you. Um, and I, I just think like Levine and Beal together is like the Spider-Man meme. You know, in some <laughs> mm-hmm. ways, there's a lot of Spider-Man meme in that. And I don't know. I, I can't see myself being happy about that if I'm a Washington Wizards fan. Uh, For the Bulls, I mean, there are easier ways. I mean, they they have kind of painted themselves into a corner here with what they have flexibility-wise, with what they've committed themselves to money-wise and draft capital-wise. So for them to get two lottery, two close near lottery picks back, eight and 15, and then be able to get all these kind of like extra young guys to figure out what you can do with. I don't hate that from Chicago side. I hate it from Washington side though. I, do I, too. Just, I, I, I want to see what the Washington direction is because when a team goes through a massive, yeah. I don't want to say massive, but a very significant front office change. Yeah. Now the rest of the teams are okay. We don't know what they typically go for. Who are their, who mm-hmm. we, we know what their typical targets are. Their typical negotiating tactics, all this thing, all these things. Now we have no way to predict. So what would they go for? And I don't know what that will be. Unless it's a re it's unless it's a full reset. I hate to break it to you, but I think this is as good as it like I don't know how many how many guys out there you're gonna realistically get. And I think if you're not gonna move on from Bradley Beal, you have to do something with the pick. All right. So I've got a I've got a, a Bulls trade as well. Let's I'll, hear it. I'll I'll sell it to you. So the Lakers will be trading the seventeenth pick in this draft. And they will also be trading Mo Bamba's salary, Malik Beasley's salary, and as well. I mean, I think I think the Bulls would want the 2029 pick. I'm not sure what the protections on that would be. I think the Lakers would harp on lottery protection that could maybe turn into a 2020, 2030 protection, et cetera, et cetera. But that for DeMar DeRozan, that's it. That's yeah. a trade. Uh, and it's it's simple. The Bulls get... Uh, the 17th pick in this draft. They now get a, a draft pick here. They also get Mo Bamba, who can maybe be assurance for if Nikola Vucevic walks. They get Malik Beasley, who can be a shooter, a floor spacer. They desperately need that on their roster. And now you can kind of move on from DeMar. You have Levine, you have Caruso, 
you can work out kinks that way and maybe draft a lottery pick as well. So that's that's what I would say. And then DeMar goes home to LA. That's the, yeah. that's the goal with that. I like that one. I like that one. I think a lot of knee-jerk people, like the knee-jerk reaction will be, why would Chicago do that? They're not really, yeah, they're not is. really getting. But if you really take a second and think about the trade, DeMar's in the final year of his deal. Yeah. And the Bulls have massive questions with Lonzo Ball, even Alex Crusoe's injury history. Vooch, mm-hmm. probably going to walk. There are major questions going on in Chicago right now. And so I absolutely yeah. think that they would heavily consider kind of this reset and I and if whatever how far they commit to a reset is another question but moving on from DeMar I think is absolutely something that's on the table because with these big questions you always then have the question of okay is somebody going to walk are they just going to walk for nothing so I absolutely think that this deal could be something that's on the table I'd be interested to see if Chicago um tried how aggressive they were and trying to get a future pick because this is a loaded draft so I think that there's a world in which on an expiring deal yeah, you probably do just get this pick in this draft in, yeah. a, in a in a heavy draft. So I can see that deal absolutely happening, which is so funny because so many people are like, in what world are the Lakers going to get someone on this big contract? But there's a world in there's, which they get ways, somebody. There ways. are always, always, always paths to doing something. And so this is something that I think the Lakers could do and also bring back their guys while adding i think this is absolutely something to keep your eye on whether it's demar or somebody else but i think demar's a demar's a big one i i think a lot of people have brought up the idea that the lakers will go hunting in free agency whether it be kyrie irving and fred van vliet i think the maneuvering around that is much harder than it is for them to involve their draft pick plus Mm -hmm. some of the salary that they have in order to trade and make a trade for someone i think that's the way to go um We'll see what happens. The Lakers obviously have a very, very important offseason, the LeBron news and, you know, what have you. We'll probably talk about that as the season goes, but that's my second trade. I do have, I don't have a trade for this. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't really necessarily have a trade for this at all, but I'm really interested to see what the Orlando Magic do Mm -hmm. because they have the sixth pick and they have the 11th pick in this draft. They don't necessarily need any more lottery talent on the roster. They obviously have Paolo, they have Franz, they have Wendell Carter Jr. I am curious to see if they can make a move for someone. Uh, I don't know who that would be. I don't know who they would be interested in because they obviously have Markel Fultz, they have Jalen Suggs. So in terms of like who the core is they'll, they're building around, it's pretty much established. And I'm not sure what they can throw into that to make it even more dominant. Maybe a score. I would say maybe just like an extra score. Um but I don't know who that would be. I don't know if if Levine or Beal or any of those guys are like enticing. And mm-hmm. I don't know if Orlando should jump the gun that quickly. So I don't know what they would do, but I'm interested to see if they package six and eleven for something. Maybe they package six and eleven to move up. That's yeah. another thing. It's like Yeah. You know, I maybe see. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Houston is like, okay, we'll take six and eleven for four, right? Yeah. Or maybe Portland is like, hey, well, I mean, I doubt they do that. But like maybe Houston. Maybe Charlotte, is- you get some future picks in there or one of these other young guys. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just because Char- I mean, Charlotte needs some help. But at the same yeah. time, Charlotte may be like, no, we've got to get our number two right here. Yeah. Um, but even, I mean, I think there's also a world in which maybe they trade one. Maybe they trade one of those picks and try to get future picks to then right. look down, just push it down the line. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think yeah. Orlando has a lot of options going into – draft night and i feel like where they're currently at the prospects that will be available at those picks are not necessarily what they need 
right now to add to this equation, especially yeah. like you mentioned, even it'll because it will probably be a guard. Um, mm-hmm. You got Jalen Suggs, Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, even like there are so there are too many guys. You can't add two more in there or even one yeah. could be really tricky. So I think Orlando, keep your eyes on Orlando. Keep your eyes on them. Uh, I think a lot of the teams we mentioned, you should keep your eyes on between the Pacers. We didn't talk about the Mavericks, but I think they're probably going to be, you know, movers of that 10th pick. Yeah, we'll, see. we'll have time for that. We'll, we'll, we'll have time for that for sure. Yeah. But I mean, look, between the Raptors, the Blazers, the Pacers, the Magic, the Lakers. And I think there's a lot of potential movement uh, on draft night. I think. I think we will see a lot of transactions. I think given, you know, what we talked about CBA wise and and what's going to happen there, I think acquiring young talent at a cost effective rate uh, is going to be important. And especially in this draft and for what people think is a loaded draft, I think it's, it's going to be crucial for teams to actually get those picks. So we'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Lauren, anything before we head out, anything you got? <sighs> I hope draft night is as intriguing as it's teeing up to be because there is just so much potential in this draft. So much potential. Absolutely. And I hope that the next time we talk, there is an NBA finals matchup. That's what I hope. I hope hope so too, for you, for your sake. Yes. For my sake, clear as days, please go ahead and make sure that the NBA finals has been finalized um, by the time we do this next podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much listening to the objective basketball podcast as always tap in do your liking do your commenting do your subscribing watch us on youtube watch these pretty faces and as always we will see you guys later take care follow house at just s barahini on all socials and at the lauren gun on twitter the objective basketball podcast delivering the n